Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Shalom, shalom, everybody. Welcome, welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I am your host, Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana, out of Ashes Ministries, located in DeRitter, Louisiana. And I am so pumped to be with you guys today. I hope you're ready for a great episode. We're going to try to break your mind as much as possible, uh, not, not, not in a bad way, in a great way, hopefully. And uh, we're thinking through uh, some really incredible things in the book of Vaikra, Leviticus, which we started last week in Parsha Vaikra. And uh, we're going to continue... Uh, on not specifically with Parsha Zav, which is this week's Parsha, but uh, talking about the whole idea of offerings and sacrifices, or offerings are sacrifices, and uh, what all this means in the context of the tabernacle and the presence of Hashem and all those kinds of things. So it's going to be really awesome and really fun. I can't wait to dig in. Uh, but before I do, let me just have a big welcome to everybody. If it's your first time or your hundredth time listening, well, we're only on episode 61. So your 61st time listening, I want to just welcome you and say thank you for so much for being a great community. And and for sticking with us uh, through the hurricanes and the weather and all our schedule being all wonky and everything, we're back on track and uh, everything is all good. So thank you so much for being so faithful and for being a great community. Uh, and uh, we appreciate you so very, very much. Uh, please remember that we live stream our Shabbat services every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Central Time. And that can be found on our website at outofashesministries.org or on Facebook or on YouTube uh, anywhere you, uh, you contain or, uh, obtain or whatever I'm trying to say, social media. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so check it out there. We also have a sermon archive and things, a teaching archive on our website. Uh, this coming Saturday, which begins Pesach, uh, we're in that, in that week of Pesach, uh, preparing, preparing for, uh, Hag Hamatzot. And so we will not be live streaming this Saturday morning, uh, because we are having a large Seder here at the ministry. And so, uh, we will not be live streaming this uh, this Saturday, uh, and so that will be the 27th, March 27th, 2021. <laughs> so uh, we will not be, but we will be back the next week, and uh, we look forward to seeing you guys there. So without further ado, uh, let's uh, go to the Father in prayer before we get into today's episode. Father in heaven, we bless you, and we thank you so much for this opportunity God, I'm so overwhelmed and so full of gratitude for what you're showing us and where you're leading us. You told us that your spirit would lead us into all truth, and I believe that's exactly what's happening. So we follow you today as we discuss your word. Let us be your image. Everybody, so as I said last week, uh, the book of Vaikra, 
the heart of the Torah, not just because it's in the middle of, not just because it's sandwiched in between uh, Genesis, Exodus, and then Numbers and Deuteronomy. It's not only the heart for that reason, but uh, it's the heart because it teaches us about approaching Hashem and about not only approaching Him, but how we are to be uh, before, during, and after our encounter with uh, Shekinah, with the Divine Presence. And um, this, this book is, it has revolutionized my, my walk with Hashem. It's revolutionized the way I see Yeshua um, in the best possible way. And it's, it's interesting, you know, when we, when we start to study Torah, um, we, many people tell us, well, you're walking away from Yeshua. And because you're keeping the law, right, for salvation. They make up all these weird claims. And it's like, no, no, that's not what's happening at all. But it's hard to get people to understand because they're not hearing what you're hearing. And they're not feeling and sensing, and they're not being pulled, really. They're not being called to, to go where you're going, and that's okay. But then what's really interesting is that we, those of us in the Hebrew Roots Messianic movement, um, to our credit, we have sought to restore the Torah-ness to Yeshua, right? To go like, hey, Christianity... Um, he, he kept the Torah, and it was a good thing, right? He promoted Torah obedience. But can I talk to my fellow Hebrew Roots Messianic community for just a little bit? Guys and, and gals, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, however you want to say it, um, can I suggest that we have done in ourselves another disservice to Yeshua and his message, um, maybe even just as much as the church has done? And that we've, we've tried to restore uh, Torah, Torahness, right? Torah obedience to Yeshua, which is to our credit. Um, but what we've done in the, in the process is that we've, we've still left off a part. And that part is his Jewishness. And so we, those of us who are, who are going and studying with rabbis or listening to rabbis and studying Jewish writings and things, a lot of us are told from our fellow Hebrew Roots community Oh well, you're you know you're gonna walk away from Yeshua. I don't know how many times I've been I've been you know uh, accused of well you're you're down that slippery slope. You know it's only a few more steps before you altogether deny Yeshua. And what I don't understand is that studying these things um, has made me more in love with Yeshua than I ever have been before. I, I get him on a level that I I never could have imagined before. And yes, it does happen that many people walk away, but for this guy, from in my case. This has been the most incredible journey I, I, that I never even I never even foresaw coming. I don't think I ever could. So um, I love the book of Vayikra. It has absolutely changed my life. Um, and so I want to share, just slow down and take some time and share some thoughts with you. Um, so last week we kind of introduced Vayikra, Leviticus, uh, from the Septuagint, the Greek Septuagint. Um, and and so we we introduced it. And we were getting into reading some passages, and I want to do that. Um, and so I want to read a lot of scripture today with you. And then next week, we're going to have kind of part three, maybe the last part. I don't know. It depends on, on kind of where, where we get to. Um, so we were talking last week about uh, the, the, the offerings for atonement. Um, the offerings for atonement. Uh, let me just say this real, real quick. This is something I want to get to next week and really spend some time on. But I want to just say this. Uh, as we approach Vaikra and the sacrificial system, you can't see me, but I'm making air quotes, the sacrificial system. Um, there's a great video that we have posted on our Facebook page uh, by Rabbi Haim Richman, uh, formerly of the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. 
It's about a 25-minute video. Uh, it's a YouTube video I, on his uh, commentary and his thoughts on Parshat Varikra. I would really, really encourage you. If you're not on our Facebook page, go to YouTube and just search uh, Rabbi Richmond Vaikra, and you'll find there's several different versions. Um, listen to all of them. They're, they're like I said, they're like 20, 25, 30 minutes long. And if you see it like I see it, it'll it'll wreck you. It'll change your life. Um, Rabbi Richmond, from as an Orthodox Jew, is very uh, persistent and very um, very belligerent. To to I would I don't think that's too strong of a word that we change the way we think about uh, what goes on with, with the animals and the stuff in the tabernacle from the idea of sacrifice to the idea of offering. And you might say, well, that's, well, that's the same thing, right? It's semantics. No, uh, no, it's not at all, as a matter of fact. Uh, there is a vast chasm between the way we think about sacrifice and the way we think about offering, and then that, that fork in the road um, then leads to two completely different uh, the, uh, theological understandings, uh, eschatological understandings. It leads to two completely different sets of dogma, and and they are in a in a in many ways they are they are actually diametrically opposed to one another. Uh, so I, wa- I want to get to all this text. I want to read. We might not get to all of it today, but I want to establish this first. Um, so when we think of the word sacrifice, right? We generally think of something we give up. And depending on what background you come, and I know I talk about our backgrounds a lot, but our backgrounds have kind of made us who we are. And so it's important to know where we're going, and, and you can't know where you're going unless you know where you've been, right, where you came from. Uh, and so we need to know what, what uh, lenses or what blinders or what, you know, what we have on us that help, that, uh, that cause us to see the world and the Word of God in a certain way. So when we think about sacrifice, I'll just give you my experience and then and the experience of others that I know um, and then you can kind of tweak yours from there. But sacrifice is this idea that I have to give something up, and it it should, if it doesn't hurt me to give it up, then it's not a legitimate sacrifice. And that's what God wants. God wants me to give until it hurts, um, whether that's finances or whether that's um, you know giving up hobbies or giving up. Uh, you know, even giving up sin and giving up, you know, in, in, a, good, in a, a positive light, giving up those things that hurt. In other words, if you're not if you're not hurting while you're repenting, then you're really not repenting of your sin. It's about sacrifice. It's about what cost us, and it's about um, giving. It's about giving up. And and in a lot of ways, and I'll just again, this is my testimony. It made for a really miserable faith life. It made for a really miserable Christian existence. Um, because I, I you, the other part of this that that we got to kind of get our heads around too is that from um, from many Christian views, and again, I grew up Southern Baptist, so this is kind of my, and then spent a lot of time in Pentecostalism. This is kind of my experience um, that there is really nothing good in humanity, right? We're sin sick, we're depraved, um, you know, we're we're cut off from God altogether. And, and there's really nothing good that we can contribute to the world or to, especially to God's kingdom. Uh, you know, the passage uh, as in Isaiah, all of your righteousness is filthy rags. That's weaponized. And I mean, it, you know, people are shot in the head with that every single Sunday. And so this idea that we can, um, that we, we have to give up, right? We have to, because there's nothing good in us. We have to give up everything that we are in order to, uh, to appease God. Um, God is, uh, God hates sin. Um, and we say, you know, he hates sin, but he loves the sinner. 
And that works for some people, and it works for a time, but you, you are what you do. You are, you are what you, how you act. You are your behavior. Those, those things are kind of inseparable. And so by saying that God hates sin, really what many Christians, many, especially many younger people here, is that, well, God hates what I do, therefore he has to hate me. Like it's not, you can't separate those two. Religion tells us we can, but you can't really. And so it's this thing that, well, well God hates humanity and something has to die. The only way God can be satisfied or appeased, especially in Tanakh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, I won't call it the Old Testament, especially in the Hebrew Scriptures, the only, the only way God can be pleased and God will be, we will kind of be guaranteed for God to not hurt us is that something has to die because God's bloodthirsty. And so this, this idea that, that God has this bloodlust um, and, and that we still won't we still won't gain the favor of God necessarily, um, but it'll be kind of like the divine cold shoulder. Like God won't actively act against us, but he still won't be real like warm and you know inviting with us. And so th- some of you listen, that may be a really warped view of, uh, you know, a really warped Christian view. It's the, group that I grew, the, the view that I grew up with, and frankly, a lot of people grew up with. Um, and so if you didn't, count yourself as blessed. Uh, because you don't have this baggage to unpack. Um, so listening to Rabbi Richmond in the video that he, that he did, um, he makes a very clear distinction that that ideal, that ideology, and that way of thinking about the, the sacrificial system and, the, and the, the temple offerings, the tabernacle offerings, that ideology and that system is actually the way that the pagans saw um, sacrifices to their, their deities, their gods. It was this massive bloodletting, and and it was slow and painful for the animals, and it was it was gory and it was awful, um, and it was it was violent and it was vitriolic, and so that the way that many Christian uh, Christian groups and many Christian ideologies have characterized the sacrificial system, and thereby the tabernacle itself, and the priesthood, and by association God Himself. Is is more of a pagan understanding, more of a heathen understanding than a scriptural understanding. The word for the Hebrew word for offerings for what we're talking about in the book of Vayikra, the word is korban, k o r b a n. You might recognize this word from the Gospels when Yeshua is having this interaction with the Pharisees. I think it's in Matthew chapter 15, 16, um, where they're talking about this issue of korban. And it's like all of a sudden and you're in the Gospels and you're reading English and it's great and, and you're having a lot of fun. And then you get to this, this korban thing, like what is this untranslated word? Well, this is the Hebrew word for offering. This is the word that's all over the book of Vayikra. Um, in the opening, in the opening uh, verses of Vayikra one, and when when Hashem spoke to Moses, Vayikra, um, when he spoke to Moses and he spoke to him out of the the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting, and he said, "When you bring an offering, that's a karban." The the word karban is uh, closely related; it's in the same family as the word karav. So you have uh, kufresh bet, or uh, yeah, kufresh bet is the three letter root 
of the word korban. Korban, of course, has a nun at the end, but kufresh bet, and those letters can be interchanged to, to have different families of words. If you, if you studied Hebrew, you understand this. And all those words can be uh, related, right? And so I think there's six different variants of any three-letter root in, in the Hebraic language, in the biblical Hebrew language. So um, this, I, this korban comes from the, the word karav, or is related to the word karav. And karav, the, the verb karav, means uh, close or to draw near. So let's just stop right there and kind of wrap, try to wrap our minds around, around this thing. So the, the, what we think of as sacrifice, something we have to give up to appease this distant, angry God, versus some, a gift that we bring that draws us closer to Hashem. You see why those are two completely, completely different and, and like I said, diametrically opposed ideas? And so this, this idea of korban is a drawing near, a drawing close. After all, Hashem rescues a nation and then says what? Here are, I rescued you, I, I redeemed you, I saved you, right? And then I want to come and I, I want to I dwell with you. Here, here's the terms of the marital contract. Here's the terms of the covenant, the Brit, and then I want to dwell with you. So build me a house, build me a tent, a tabernacle, a mishkan. Um, that's in Exodus 25, uh, 6 or 8, I never can remember. Uh, but build me a mishkan, vishikanti, that I may dwell with you. And so that the whole purpose of, of the offerings is so is so that is because God wants to be with people, not because he is he is, you know, uh, he's uh, uh, he abhors people and their sin and all. That. No, he wants to be with people. But so he creates this uh, this this system whereby you can continue to draw close to him. And we'll, we'll talk about the details of this as we get through some of these passages. So. This is not um, this is not the pagan idea of sacrifice, and this is why um, we know that much of the Torah we've talked about it here is very similar to some of the writings or many of the writings that we find earlier than the, the Torah and later and around the same time. Code of Hammurabi comes up. There's several others, and we know that that this is a similar practice in some ways or a similar idea. But what God always does, and Hashem always takes it and turns it around and says, "This is how I want you to show the world that I'm different." After all, the, the, opening, um, the opening passages of, of Vayikra, uh, let me get to it really quick, because uh, this is an awesome verse, and this kind of sets up the, the, the thing. Um, he, he talks about uh, bringing the offerings and, um, sorry, let's see, I'm not going to be able to find it here real quick, but he, he talks about how this is how the nations are going to know that I forgave you. Uh, this is during uh, Yom Kippur, around the, the golden calf thing. This is how the nation is going to know that I forgive you. Build this, this tabernacle and so that I may dwell. Okay, so, so I really want you to, to, to think about changing the way we think about offerings. Rabbi Richmond says, and I'll echo this because I'm this passionate about it, just don't use the word sacrifice. Just don't. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, but Paul said, well, we're going to get to Paul and, and maybe next week. Just, just don't, just get the word sacrifice out of your vocabulary, okay? Um, well, but what was Yeshua? We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that next week. Um, I promise, because this is one of the things that I've really struggled with. Just make offering your, make offering or the word korban, make that your, uh, your knee-jerk, your go-to vocabulary, because what's happening in the tabernacle is not sacrifices. It's not the Israelites 
raising up their best, uh, their best lamb. Yes, they do give their best, but it's not them raising up their best lamb, falling in love with it, and then a, 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 an angry, masochistic God ripping it from them and saying, no, if I'm going to bless you and I'm, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promise not to kill you and not to hurt you, then no, you have to give me that best and then rip it out of his hands and enjoying watching the priest slaughter it and the blood go everywhere. That, that's, not, that's not what's happening. What's happening is a korban, korbanot, closeness, a constant drawing near. So we talked last week a little bit about atonement. Uh, this, this series actually may go on for four or five weeks. I don't, well, we'll see. But uh, we talked a little bit about atonement. We read out of Hebrews uh, that almost everything is cleansed or almost nothing is, is not cleansed without blood, um, which doesn't necessarily mean that blood cleanses everything. If you needed a cleansing, if you needed to be clean for a transgression or something like that, um, and you were, you were not able to bring an animal, you could bring a grain offering, and that would atone. So the, the, the thing about blood being, quote-unquote, washed in the blood, it's really not super accurate. Um, we read from uh, Vayikra 5, uh, Leviticus 5, uh, 11 through 13, which talks about, excuse me, as I get to it real quick, 11 through 13, which talks about this very thing about if you can't afford an animal offering, then you can bring a couple turtle doves. If you can't afford that, then you bring finest flour, etc., etc. Um, so we talked about the Ola, the first chapter of Aikra, which is a whole burnt offering being a free will offering. And uh, I said last week, I need to correct this. I said last week that the Ola had nothing to do with sin. And while I still sort of hold to that, there is, there is a, a, a transgression component to the Ola. So forgive me, I don't want to lead anybody astray. Uh, Leviticus 1 uh, verse 4 talks about uh, it making an atonement for you. And verse 4 says, you're to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. Okay, So this, this laying, laying on the hand thing is really, is really important. Um, if we go over to Vayikra chapter 16... And we look at chapter 16 and verse 21, we will see more about this, uh, where it tells us that, you can tell I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit here, um, it tells us when Aaron is finished making atonement for the most holy place, we read this last week, the tent of meeting in the altar, he shall bring forth the live goat, he's to lay his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. So this act of transference is what it seems like. This laying on of the hands of the sacrifice, though, is not just a physical action, um, but it's what is done while laying on the hands that's really super important. Uh, it, it's what transpires while you're laying on this hands and making that confession. That's what's really, really important because the, the, the Vayikra and the offerings are the heart of the Torah, not just because of where they're placed and what they're surrounded by, but they're the heart of the Torah because it is all about the heart. The offerings are all about the heart. Don't bring an offering if your heart is not in it, period, stop, full stop. Don't, don't pass, uh, go, don't collect $200. Um, we read in, in Vayikra chapter 4, verses 27 to 20, uh, I'm sorry, 20, yeah, 7 to 29. And this is where we kind of left off last week. If any member of the community sins unintentionally, unintentionally, and does what is forbidden in any of Hashem's commands, when they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring as their offering for the sins they committed a female goat without defect. They are to lay their hand on the head of the sin offering, that's the chatat, and slaughter it in the place of the burnt offering. 
Okay, so this is talking about unintentional sin. I told you we were going to get into this again this week because this idea of unintentional sin has been absolutely revolutionary for me. So before we go to the break, I want to read this out of Numbers chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 22 and go to verse 29, this first section here. It says, Now, if you as a community unintentionally fail to keep any of these commands which Hashem gave to Moshe, any of Hashem's commands to you through him, from the day that Hashem gave you uh, them, continue through the generations to come, and if this is done unintentionally, Without the community being aware of it, then the whole community is to offer a young bull for a burnt offering, an olah, as an aroma pleasing to Hashem, along with its prescribed grain offering and drink offering, and a male goat for a sin offering, a chatat. So here you have the olah, you have the, the burnt offering, uh, you have four of the major offerings here. The priest is to make atonement for the whole Israelite community, and they will be forgiven. For it was not intentional they have presented to Hashem for their wrong, a food offering and a sin offering. The whole Israelite community and the foreigners residing with them will be forgiven because all the people who were involved in the unintentional wrong. But if a person sins uh, unintentionally, that person is what talks about the individual. So I want to talk about this just for a little bit right after the break because this, guys, is awesome. And we've missed it. All these years we've missed it. All right, so we'll see you right after the break. Welcome back. Welcome back to the second segment in this episode of Image Bearers Radio. So we're reading from Numbers, Bamidbar chapter 15, verses 22 to 29. And just as, a, as an exercise, go through there and count all the times it, talk, it says unintentional, 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 over and over and over and over. Sins of ignorance. I didn't know something was wrong and I did it. I, I didn't, I'm learning here. I'm, I'm figuring this stuff out. We are as a community figuring this stuff out. We, we're doing the best we can and we have the best intention. And, and this is what the carbonate is for. Let, let me help, let me just press this point. The carbonate, the offerings, are solely for unintentional sin. The carbonate are solely for unintentional sin. If one sins accidentally, we read it, reading it in Numbers, uh, Numbers chapter 15, again, verse 30, uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, if there, if anyone sins accidentally or unintentionally, the offerings make atonement. The offerings draw you back near to God. You didn't, you, you didn't, you didn't even know you were far away by your actions because your intention was right. And but the offerings draw you back near. They're a way of coming back together. Okay, so let's read chapter fifteen, verse thirty, because this is kind of the money verse. Chapter fifteen of Bamibar, Numbers, verse thirty. But if anyone who sins defiantly. Your translation may say something else, but this is the uh, NIV, I believe. Yeah, this is NIV. If anyone sins defiantly, whether native-born or foreigner, blasphemes Hashem and must be cut off from the people of Israel, and then I'll go ahead and read verse 31, because they have despised Hashem's word and broken His commands, they must be surely cut off. Their guilt remains on them. So wait a second. Is Scripture really saying that the offerings in the tabernacle are only for unintentional sin, and if you sin intentionally, there is no offering to cover you? Yeah. 
That's exactly what it's saying. Now, there's some debate that maybe on Yom Kippur, the Yom Kippur offering may be for intentional uh, and unintentional sin as well. For the regular Tamid offerings, the, the perpetual offerings every day, there is no everyday offering for intentional sin as far as I can find it. If one sins on purpose, intentionally, with kavanah, with intent, and that word kavanah is going to be an important word as we talk, there is no sacrifice for atonement. So let's read some, some passages that, that kind of talk about this, and we can understand hopefully a little better. So 1 Samuel chapter 15, uh, we're going to read verses 22 and 23. Um, but Samuel replied, Does Hashem delight in burnt offerings as much as in obeying Hashem? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of Hashem, he has rejected you as king. So Solomon, Shlomo, is, is throwing down this wisdom here. And notice what he says, you've rejected the word of Hashem. What did we read in Bamidbar 15, verse 31? That person is to be cut off because what? They rejected, they blaspheme Hashem and the word of Hashem, right? So the word of Hashem comes and says in the, in the Ten Commandments and the rest of the Mishpatim, the rest of the judgments and the ordinances, he said, this is, this is how I want you to, 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 uh, to spread my kingdom. This is how I want you to bring order uh, to the world around you. This is how I want you to represent me. And this is how you're going to be close to me. And you're going to be my people. And I'm going to be your God. And, and, and I drew you up out of, out of uh, Egypt you know, on eagle's wings. And this is what, this is what our relationship's going to look like. And as long as we do those things, we're good. Like we're, we're in great fellowship, in closeness with Hashem. But if we intentionally decide to go a different way and do something against Hashem's will and against His character and against His reputation that stains His reputation, which is probably the biggest part of all of this that we never talk about, when we do something that is diametrically against Him, we stain His reputation. We put a stain on Him. And that is blasphemous according to Solomon and to Numbers chapter 15. And so for those things, there is no, there is, Solomon says, do you delight in offerings and stuff? Like, no, what God wants is for you to do the right thing. That's what he, that's what he wants. And if you defiantly, intentionally do the wrong thing, then, then there is no animal that can take that, that, that uh, can bear that weight for you. I want to go to Isaiah and read a passage from uh, the first, just a short, short passage. Isaiah is really heavy. Isaiah is really heavy on this idea of, of, uh, of you know, uh, teshuva, of repentance. Uh, and it's dealing with this whole intentional and unintentional, you know, sin thing. So this is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. Uh, or let me read verse 10. Hear the word of Hashem, you rulers of Sodom, and listen to the instructions of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says Hashem? I have had more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and of the fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you, verse 12, when you come before me, who asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Well, well, who asked this? He did, right? So is, like, is Hashem having like a bipolar moment or something? What, what is going on here? Is he, is he, is he schizophrenic? Uh, does he does he need a prophet to go like, um, hey, uh, Hashem, it was you, like you asked us to do this, and now all of a sudden you don't want him? What's 
Like, what's up? You know, what's going on? No, that, that's not at all. We see we missed the point because we're so anti-Semitic and anti, um, we're anti, uh, you know, uh, Jewish um, interpretation. And, and we're anti-sacrifice. And this, Leviticus makes people uncomfortable, super uncomfortable. But it shouldn't because it's a beautiful thing. What he's saying is, listen, I, I, you're, you're bringing these offerings, but your kavanah, your intention, is not to do well. You can bring all the offerings you want, but if your heart is not turned to do well, then just stop bringing the offerings. We, I, I had pastors tell me, if you're coming to church but you're distracted, then just don't come. And in our Christian way, that was the, that was the way to talk about it. God is saying, if you're not going to change your heart, if you're not going to do some heart work and some mind work and some spirit work and change and want to be like me and want to be my, my image and want to take on my, my reputation and authority and my character, if you're not going to want to do that, your offerings are no good because your intention is not correct. See, the offerings are a matter of intentionality. Everything about the carbonate is a matter of intentionality. Why you bring them is the first matter of intention, whether you, you intend to, for them to be a, a representative of your drawing near to God or whether you're just bringing them because you, your intention is just to get off, you know, kind of just skate by. And so intentionality is a, is a huge deal. Let's read from Hosea chapter 6. I love the book of Hosea. Hosea. Okay, uh, chapter 6, verse 6. Um, well, let me start in verse 4. I'm sorry. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you into pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. I killed you and cut you into pieces. That's, we're going to talk about the process of, of offering and an offering. Verse 6, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So he's not saying, I, I want to do away with the sacrificial system or with the offerings. What he's saying is that they're, they're a, represent, a representation of what's going on in your heart. They are not what motivates God to act on your behalf. Your heart is what motivates God to act on your behalf, not the amount of blood that is spilled. Uh, let's see, we'll read from Micah chapter 6. Now we'll go over, over a, a few chapters. Micah chapter 6, and we'll read a couple verses here. Uh, we'll start in verse 6, and we'll read verses 6 through 8. What shall I come before Hashem? Or with what? With what shall I come before Hashem and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, a, a calf a year old? Will, will Hashem be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Verse 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does Hashem require of you? to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. One more passage we'll read in the book of Amos, and then we'll, we'll move on, because I think I'm, I hope I'm making my point. <laughs> I, hope it's, I hope it's making sense. See, these passages are, 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 are talking about the difference between intentional and unintentional sin. And, and we, we've missed this, guys. How long have we missed this? To understand that, you know what, for, for the Christian, for the believer... That, that says that they love God and says that they've had their, their ticket punched to heaven, and yet they go out and live like all get out, you know what? That's not, a, that's not right. That's not, I, wouldn't be real, um, I wouldn't be real confident in that, in that ticket, quote-unquote. All right, this is Amos chapter 5, verse 21. 
He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your hearts. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Verse 25, did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, your pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I send you into exile beyond Damascus, says Hashem, whose, God, whose name is God Almighty. So again, God is not saying, I, it's not saying you know, that this sacrificial and this, these offerings that he gave, he doesn't want. What he's saying is that they're not a replacement for a right heart. They are, they are a product of, and they are a representation of a right heart. So the question is, is God required to accept, to, to accept the offerings um, that were presented? In other words, somebody comes to present an offering, does God have to accept it just because somebody's there to present it, right? Like, like hey, I, I got my offering. Uh, whether my heart's right or whether you want it or not, really doesn't matter. Um, you said to bring it, so now you have to accept it. Because that's, you know, that's a kind of toxic attitude. But I think it's an attitude uh, that I've seen in my own life, even in, you know, in Christianity. Well, God, it doesn't really matter what you want. I'm, I'm bringing what, you know, what I want, and that's, that's the way it needs to go. Um, Psalm verse 40. Chapter, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 40, verse 6. Uh, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And he says, then I said, here I come, I've come, the scroll written about me, to desire to do your will, my God. Your, your Torah is within my heart. Again, it's about the heart. It's about the, the issue of the heart. And so does God have to accept these offerings? Well, no, I mean, he doesn't have to do anything. Hashem can do what he wants. He, he's the one who made the, um, he made the system, and he caused the shots. He's the one that walked the path of Avraham, the blood path, for both parties. He can decide to do whatever he wants, and he can decide how he likes it done. Uh, one more passage on this particular point, Jeremiah 7, uh, verses 21 to 28. And this is a long one, so I'll try to get through it pretty quick. Uh, this is what Hashem Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices, and eat the meat yourselves. Now, burnt offerings, the meat was not supposed to be eaten, right? And, and a couple of other sacrifices, the Kohanim were only supposed to eat, uh, and then one particular, the people ate with the Kohanim. Uh, verse 22, For when I brought your ancestors out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not give them commands. I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings, uh, but I gave them this command. Obey me, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you, that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their own evil hearts. They went backward and not forward from the time your ancestors left Egypt until now, day after day, again and again, I send you my servants, the prophets. But they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and did more evil than their ancestors. When you, t- when, when you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. Therefore say to them, this is the nation that has not obeyed Hashem its God or responded to correction. Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. Cut off your hair and throw it away. Take up a lament. On the barren heights, for Hashem has rejected and abandoned this generation that is under this wrath. So the point is that God didn't only, Hashem didn't only give offerings when he brought them out. He did, but he didn't only. And what had happened in Israel, one of the reasons why they got kicked out of the land and booted off to Babylon, to which 
to which group Jeremiah is speaking to from Jerusalem, one of the reasons, main reasons, is that they became idolatrous. They became idolatrous and their heart was turned to worshiping their kings and worshiping their, their idols as, um, as Amos, Micah, Micah and Amos say. They were, they were worshiping other things, but they were still bringing offerings to the temple. You, you see the difference? Their heart was misplaced. Their, their kavanah, their intention was misplaced. But they were still bringing offerings and, and thinking that that was how they were. It's the golden calf all over again. Ooh, we're worshiping this calf because tomorrow is a festival to Hashem. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Hashem said, this is how you're going to worship me. First of all, it starts with a circumcision of the heart. Don't circumcise your flesh if your heart's not circumcised. It's incongruent. It doesn't make, it doesn't, it, it's to no avail. You can cut your skin all you want. But that doesn't make you a child of Hashem. That doesn't make you worthy of bearing his reputation and his character. So if there is no sacrifice for intentional sin, what is the solution? I've got to go back to my favorite. I love the book of Hosea. Probably my favorite prophet is, is the prophet Hosea. I mean, how dramatic and incredible is, is the book of Hosea. So this is going to be in uh, Hosea chapter 14. What about intentional sin? Because listen, the fact is we've all sinned unintentionally, but we've all sinned intentionally as well. So what... So what do we do? What do we do about that? And again, there's a discussion about that the, on the day of Yom Kippur, all of those intentional and unintentional are all atoned for. Um, but we're talking about every day, just the everyday things. And, and really, we could read all of Hosea chapter 14. But um, this is what the beginning verses say. Return, right? Shuva, make, make Teshuvah. Return, Israel, to Hashem your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you, take words with you and return to Hashem and say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not, we will not mount war horses. We never will again say our gods to what our own hands have made for you in the fatherness find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily, like a cedar of Lebanon. He will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. So what is Hosea's charge to the nation of Israel after all of this, this wickedness and this idolatry? Hey, listen, guys, don't bring a sacrifice. Don't, 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 don't start with that. Come back with your, the, the offering of your words let your words be your repentance. Let your words make teshuva. Repent first. Fall on the mercy of God and say, say Hashem, I need your mercy. I am, I am, I, I am sin sick. I am, I am full of corruption. I have trampled your holiness. Please, Hashem, save. All right, we got two more passages to read on this, this section. I want to read from uh, Psalm chapter 51, verses 15 through 19. Open my lips, Hashem, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings, O La. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Yushalayim. Then you will delight in the offerings of the righteous, and burnt offerings offered whole, then bulls, will be offered on your altar. So I want you to catch this because it's super important. What it makes it, I, what I've talked about almost may sound like something you've heard in church. God didn't want sacrifices. He wanted a heart. No, 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 no. No, 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 stop. 
God wanted both, but he didn't, he, wanted, he didn't want the cart before the horse, right? So listen to what Psalm 51 says. He says, a broken and contrite spirit you, will, you, you desire. Verse 19, then you will delight in offerings of the righteous. Then you will delight. So you, you can't have one without the other. It's like, you know, since giving is kind of the, the way we do our offerings today, our prayer. Prayer is an offering because there's no standing temple. Do we, do we pray in order to manipulate God? Do we give money in order to manipulate God to bless our finances? Or do we pray and do we give because we truly want fellowship with him? That, that's the point. That, that, this is the conversation that Isaiah, Amos, Micah, uh, the Psalms, David, Shlomo, th- this is the conversation they're having. This is the thing that Hashem is trying to correct. The offerings are not a manipulation of God. The offerings are a representation of the intent, the kavanah of your heart. So I want to I want to close with this. Next week we'll get into the steps of offering a korbanot, and we'll we'll talk a little bit more about korban versus sacrifice, offering versus sacrifice. The last uh, passage that I want to read to you comes out of Second Chronicles. This is this I, I want to encourage you and challenge you to do this do this study and to to check out what I'm what I'm talking about because once you read it for yourselves, it is pretty incredible. Um, so this is out of Second uh, Chronicles chapter thirty three, and we're going to read nine through sixteen. Uh, it says in 9, um, But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Israel astray, of Jerusalem, rather, astray, so that they did more evil than the nations that Hashem had destroyed before the Israelites. Then Hashem spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So Hashem brought against them the army of the commanders of the king of Syria, who took Manasseh as his prisoner, put a hook in his nose and bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. In his distress, he sought the favor of Hashem, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, Hashem was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that Hashem was good. Afterward, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David, west of the Gihon Spring in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate and encircling the hill of Ophel, he also made it much higher. He, he stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities of Judah. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image uh, from the temple of, the, of Hashem, as well as the altars he had built on the temple hill in Jerusalem, and he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar, this is important, he restored the altar of Hashem and sacrifice fellowship offerings and thanksgiving offerings on it, and he told Judah to serve Hashem, the God of Israel." The people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to Hashem, their Elohim. So what's really crazy about this story is that if you go into first, uh, into second Samuel, I believe it is, uh, maybe it's second Kings, second Kings, and you read the story of Manasseh, second Kings says like Manasseh was the worst king ever. He nearly completely destroyed Israel. And second Second Kings goes like, man, he was, he was terrible. It was awful. And, and, and God, you know, he was taken off into captivity. And that's it. And that's how the book kind of ends. And then you have Second Chronicles that comes back and gives more to the story. What's really interesting this from a, a nerdy scholarship standpoint is that Kings and Chronicles were written at different times. And so it, it was written in a different, uh, to a different audience with a different voice in order to go like Second Kings is is like look God, guys we're not we're not doing right we're not doing the right thing look at Manasseh he is a he is a mirror and a picture of all of Israel we're not right 
And, and God, we don't know if God's going to be with us. Captivity is the only thing that, we, that, that is coming. Second Chronicles is written much, much, much later, probably during or after Babylon, probably after Babylon and captivity, where they're looking back at the story of Manasseh and saying, no, you know what? We, we repented and God delivered us and, and God is with us. And so they tell the rest of Manasseh's story. It's just really fascinating. So did Manasseh sin presumptuously? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely he did. Did he bring offerings for his atonement? No. No, he didn't. <laughs> oh, but it says, no, hear me out. How did he gain forgiveness? How did Manasseh gain forgiveness? It says he cried out to Hashem. He tre- entreated Hashem, right? And made, and made teshuva and asked for forgiveness. He gained forgiveness by the fruit of his lips, we read in the other early, earlier passages. He gained forgiveness by, forgiveness is by repentance from his heart. And so the last question is, what do forgiveness, what do sacrifices or offerings, what do they have to do with the atonement that he achieved? Because it, it says he rebuilt the altar and he began, he, be, he cleaned the temple and he began to, to, to uh, offer again offerings to Hashem. So what do those offerings have to do with atonement? Did they make atonement for him? No. His repentance, the fruit of his lips, the offering of his lips from a changed and a broken and contrite heart and mash all those verses together. They're all talking about the same thing. That's what gained atonement for Manasseh. That is what drew him close to Hashem. That's what drew him close to Hashem. The offerings then are just a reflection, again, a representation of what's already happened in his heart. Because you see, here's the kind of the, I'll wrap up with this. In Christianity, we're, talk, we we're told about a sin nature, right? Original sin, et cetera, et cetera. In Judaism, it's the understanding of the animal nature. When I sin unintentionally and I bring an offering, an animal as an offering, that draws me close. But when I sin intentionally, I'm tapping into that animal, that base nature of myself, taking authority away from God. The, uh, an animal can't atone for that. Only my willful, intentional teshuva can. We'll continue this conversation next week. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.